0: We're continuing in uh, the Ten Commandments this morning, the ten blessings, words of direction that God gave to his people for the journey homeward, and they are words that continue to bless us today, directions on the way home, and today we talk about telling the truth, and uh, I think of one of the great voices of truth in, in our nation was the, who we, the man we call the father of our country, George Washington. And if you grew up on hearing the stories of George Washington, the legend was that George Washington could not tell a lie, right? And his father, a, a legendarily, probably apocryphally, came to him and, and asked, George, did you cut down the cherry tree? And he said, Father, no, I, I, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree. To which Father Washington took George out, not many know this, and gave him a good whipping behind the the house. And George said, but Father, John tipped over the outhouse. My brother John tipped over the outhouse, and you did not give him a whipping. He said, yes, but George, your father was not in the outhouse when it, it, it was tipped over. True. Not telling the truth has consequences, and that's why God is so practical in his love and his directions for us. These are not just taken out of the the air, kind of like, well, just do this and don't ask questions. God has a reason for this. So listen as we hear God's word this morning in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words. Moses had brought the Ten Commandments down. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall do n- not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, you your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God may God take this word And assure us, through the reading of it, of just exactly what God has said. You shall not. That's not just an injunction. It's a blessing. This will not happen when we love God. Let's thank Him. Father, as we come now, we pray that your good news would come now and find us so that we would not violate the injunctions you have placed before us, but that we would instead live in the blessing of belonging to you and loving what you love. Let your good news come now not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why do you suppose, why do you suppose, in the middle of the desert, after having escaped the ultimate bondage in Egypt, God tells us and tells Israel that telling the truth is a matter of life and death? We could tend to think that that's rather trivial and what difference does it make anyway? And unfortunately, we live in a world that has come to pretty much function that way. What difference does it make whether I tell the truth or not? But the answer is because God knows, our Father knows, that to lie to one another is to lie to God. And to lie to God is to alienate ourselves from God and from one another and from the very essence of our being because to lie to god is to say i do not need you and i do not need anyone else i just need me and that is the total opposite of what god has shown us about who we are and who god is remember in the beginning god says let us make man humanity in our own image God, by God's very nature, is relational and not deceptive, not lying. When we lie, we do so because sin has befallen us. And we are seeking comfort and protection because we are seeking to be away from the consequences of truth. But the consequences of untruth are worse. Ask Adam and Eve. The consequences of untruth are death. You see, God is truth. And as John has told us in his epistle, God is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. Whatever God says, whatever God says, and praise God we have it written down, is true. Whatever God says is not only true, but it's trustworthy. Whatever God says is a matter of life and death and needs to be listened to and obeyed for God's glory and our life. Whatever God promises will be fulfilled. God will take care of us. And if we have resisted that, if we've rejected that, if we have looked at God's word and said, well, that doesn't apply to me, we will die. Because we will kill the relationship that God has intended for us to have with himself. So to despise truth, and that's what we do when we lie. I know we don't tend to think about it that way, but when we deceive, when we do not tell the truth, we despise the truth, we hate the truth, because to not tell the truth is to say, I do not want that. So to Despise the truth is to despise God because God is truth. God calls his people from the very beginning to the holiness of truth in all of life. Why? Because it's to calling us to himself. There is nothing else but having relationship with God. The absence of truth today is seen in what is called... This is a new one, but it's buzzing around. You've all heard it. The absence of truth today is seen in what is being called... you know where I'm going? Fake news. Hmm? Who has not heard about fake news? You know what fake news is? It's a big, fat lie. That's right, Jeannie. It's just... Fake news is, is another word for a big fat lie and it is not limited by the way, just in case you're wondering it is not limited to a particular political party or news network or nation and it never has been and it never will be you see in God's economy there is no room for fake news God has come right out and said you shall not lie that means that's not to happen in your life There is no room for it, because there is no room for not loving God. And when there is fake news in our lives, we are not loving God, and we are not loving God, we are dying. That's what's happening in our world. To love truth, then, is to love God. There's the opposite. To love truth is to love God, and to love whatever God loves, and to want whatever what God wants. But here's the question. Does our culture know God? Does our culture know God? North Korea has just flat come out and said, no, we do not believe in God. At least the leadership has said that. Tragically, some of the greatest Presbyterian missionary work was done by the late Dr. Howard Moffat, his sons, Samuel Moffat in Pyongyang, North Korea but does our culture does our world know god and does or does our world want what it calls comfort and control there's the difference we live in a world that does not want god but wants its own way and once again the clarity and the brilliance of cs lewis is illuminating as he describes what truth is more than our meager human definitions of comfort. Writing this at the outset of World War II, a time as volatile as today. Writing at the outset of World War II and on the verge of the Nazi siege of the Battle of Britain, C.S. Lewis in London broadcast this message on the BBC and it became his work, Mere Christianity, which I commend to your reading again and again and again. And in it he said, In religion, as in war, and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap. That is, that which just squirts away you will get only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with and in the end despair because if you look only for comfort you will not find anything in the end. Most of us, he said, have gotten over the pre-war wishful thinking about international politics. It is time we did the same about faith. The truth of belonging to God, serving God, trusting God, and obeying God is the only hope there is in life and in death. And the underlying reason for this is an absence of objective truth in our world. It's not that there is no objective truth, but rather in our cultural, spiritual war, relativism has horned in to cause many to think that there are many versions of truth sin, the self-centered fall away from God has blinded our world to what truth is, largely because sin makes us afraid we won't get what we want or makes us afraid we'll get what we deserve to the point that we subtly or otherwise twist the truth to gain the outcome we think we must have. And that is sin. And that is the insidious nature of sin that has been there since that snake came into the garden and said, you won't die. There was the first lie. You won't die if you walk away from God. You're not really walking away from Him. In this narcissistic world, we can become ironically chameleon. You know what a chameleon is? One of those cool little lizards that can change its color relative to whatever situation it finds itself. Changing as we would, would change from moment to moment to get what we want, not what we need. Ironically, I say this is this is the way it is because the truth is, we will not be content until God's truth, the truth, the only truth is our only goal, not our primary goal, our only goal. That's why God said, you shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness because anything other than that is deadly. And what did Jesus tell Thomas? When Thomas said that he and the disciples did not know the way. Jesus said, and I, I am going to prepare a place for you, and you know the way, Jesus said. You know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know the way. How can we know? And Jesus looked at him and said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me and it is a lie it is a deception to think that there's any other way but it is as we are coming to the truth that we are in fact set free from trying to be something other than totally devoted to God you see objective truth is not afraid of untruth one of the reasons we lie and deceive and buy into fake news is because we're afraid of the alternative. But truth is not afraid of untruth. It does not need to struggle to win because by truth's very nature, it cannot be defeated. Truth is going to win out. In the end, it doesn't matter how much we try to deceive ourselves or make things different than what they really are, God's way is going to win. This is why God called us not to bear false witness because to do so is to defeat ourselves and to remove ourselves from the covenant of God's love. Every one of the instructions we've been looking at testify to this and Jesus, the God of the universe, most essentially testifies to this when, of all times, he's on trial before Pilate. And Pilate asks, So, you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth and everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice and Pilate asked him what is truth there's the deception and that my friends is what our world is filled with People starving for the truth, even though they don't know it. Pilot, and the pilots that surround us in this world who are surround who surround us are starved and starving to know the truth, and they are not looking first and foremost for an intellectual answer. What people are looking for is the truth that shows up in person in the form of someone who is living by God's way and letting God's direction be the only compass that they have. Showing up in the flesh, becoming that message with a compelling example that cannot be defeated by all of the challenges of the things of this world, the things of this world, money, sex, power, position, that have and will defeat everyone forever apart from the one truth which is god's love for us god's truth god's love that says kind of like the seagull syndrome in reverse god's love that says mine 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 looking at us and saying you are mine and i will have it no other way that is why god calls us to the truth because god calls us to himself and nothing less, and God wants us to belong to him. Remember, he says, I am a jealous God. I do not want to share you with the ways of this world. Now there are two epidemic diseases that are rampantly destroying our lives, and perhaps the greatest tragedy is that they are seldom spoken of, and that there is no campaign that you see on the internet or television or in the newspaper seeking to raise money to find a cure for these two rampant epidemics that are killing more people than all the diseases in the world combined. And one of the reasons there are no financial campaigns is that money will not bring a cure for these. These diseases are called ambiguity and relativism. And they will kill you faster than cancer because they are the ultimate cancer. Ambiguity is that insidious monster that says, well, you know that word, well. That's not exactly how it is. You won't exactly die if you do this or don't do that. It's not clear exactly what will happen, so you can really go right ahead and live however you want and believe whatever you want that's ambiguity ambiguity is a drug literal and spiritual that numbs and dulls us to the truth of what God offers us in relationship with himself ambiguity says tell you what tell you what I know you're not very comfortable right now. I know you really want something different. i tell you what, ambiguity says. Just step outside. Just step over here. Just a little. Try something new. Let yourself go. It will be so much easier than trying to obey all those nasty, tough, demanding rules that God put forward. Ambiguity says it's not really so cut and dried as all that. And besides, no one's going to get hurt. Just try it. That's what ambiguity says. And the drift begins, oh, ever so subtly. We stop praying. We stop worshiping. We stop reading God's word. We stop trusting in God. We stop seeking God before all else, little by little. And soon we can't see any more where we were meant to be in the first place. And ambiguity's best friend is relativism that says, well, that is how you see it. And that is how you understand it. But it isn't necessarily that way. And besides, I see it this way. And for me, that's all that really matters when you or anyone else, what you or anyone else says is immaterial to me because that's not how I'm going to do it. It's all relative, you see. And this is deadly. It is deadly. It's killing our culture. It's killing our world. It is why God said you shall not lie because there is objective truth that is absolute Someone asked me recently, a, a, a new believer, oh, I've, I just gotta ask you about the end times I've been hearing about all this and I just need to sit down and talk with you about when this is gonna sort of unfold. And I said, well, you know, that's a professional secret. I'm not allowed to tell that. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but it's not, it's not a big secret. The end comes when we deceive ourselves and one another thinking that there's any other way than God's way. Recently I read that the impact of these two diseases, ambiguity and relativism, on Christian faith are rather evident. How can Christianity's claim to be the truth be taken seriously when there are so many rival alternatives? Isn't that what we face? We have so many friends who go, well, yeah, that's nice, but... No one can lay claim on possessing the truth, they say. It's all a question of perspective, and in such an environment, Christians wanting to uphold the truth get labeled as what? Intolerant. What For doing what? For saying there is one God, there is one voice, who came into the world in Jesus Christ, the most authenticated person of ancient history, to say I am the God of the universe I give my life for you and we say that's the only hope you need and we get labeled as intolerant no the only intolerance is God's intolerance of our being separated from him to the point that God is willing to pay the price with his own son to say here let there be no other way Lee Strobel who some of you have have read the work of he's a, Uh, an atheistic journalist who became a Christian and he wrote The Case for Christ. He uses the following illustration, so let me round this out with this, to highlight the moral rebellion that makes clear truths of Scripture more ambiguous and relative than they really are, because there is no relativity or ambiguity in Scripture. That's why God is so succinct. You shall not lie, period. He says imagine a daughter and her boyfriend going out for a coke on a school night. The father says to her, "You must be home by 11." It's a school night. It's a very lenient father. It gets to be 10:45 and the two of them are still having a great time and they don't want the evening dance. So suddenly they begin to have difficulty interpreting the father's instructions. Imagine what did he really mean when he said you must be home by 11? Now, if you think this is just a teenage problem, look in the mirror. Did, did he really mean us, literally, or was he talking about you in a general sense, like y'all and, and people in general, or was he saying, in effect, as a general rule, people must be home before 11? Or was he just making it the observation that generally people are in their homes before 11. I mean, he wasn't very clear, was he? Now <laughs> yeah, We're laughing, but this is how we treat God's word. It's how our world is. And what did he mean by you must be home before 11? Would a loving father be so adamant and inflexible? If God really loves us, he wouldn't put all these strictures on us, would he? He probably means it as a suggestion. That's it. I mean, he loves me, so isn't it implicit that he wants me to have a good time? And if I'm having fun, then wouldn't he want me to? Wouldn't he? Wouldn't want me to end the evening so soon? Would he? And what did he mean by "you must be home by 11? He didn't specify who's home. <laughs> it could be anybody's home. Maybe he meant it figuratively. Remember the old saying, home is where the heart is? (laughs) My heart is right here, so that means I'm already home, right? And what did he really mean by when he said you must be home before 11? Did he mean that in an exact literal sense? And besides, he never specified 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. Now, I don't mean to belabor this, but this is how absurd it gets when we are looking at God's very clear word that says, I love you, I want what's best for you, here's what you do. And this finishes by saying, and he wasn't really clear on whether he was talking about Central Standard Time or Eastern Standard Time. In, In Hawaii, it's only a quarter to seven. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, it's always before 11. Whatever time it is, it's always before the next 11. So with all of these ambiguities, we can't really be sure what dad meant at all. If he can't make himself clearer, we certainly can't be held responsible. (laughs) Gosh, my friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to recognize that that is how ridiculous and absurd it is to treat God's word like this. Bearing false witness is more than we might think. It is not telling what the world is missing. Bearing false witness is not telling what the world is missing. It is what we leave out because we want everybody to like us. It is giving directions but not telling that you can't get there from here taking that way it is failing to tell the whole truth when it would be so easy to sidestep it. But to tell the truth is to say, with all that we are and with all that God has given us, that God's way in Jesus Christ is the only way, period. And we are all needed, every single one of us, to tell the truth. You know why? Because the world has been lied to. The crazy man in North Korea has been lied to. To bear false witness is not just to lie, it is to withhold the truth about what really needs to be known. People need to know how to have a relationship with God. They need to hear about Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. They need to hear about how he heals broken hearts and minds and bodies and how he came to fill up the emptiness in our lives. They need to hear from us. And the only way for this to happen is for us to face the truth every day. And that truth is that God came looking for us Because we were lost and far from where we needed to be. Lost in a way that we could never undo. And God provided the way home in Jesus Christ. And we need to tell that. That we were carried home. To not say this is to bear false witness. To not say this is to bear false witness. It is to allow untruth to just simmer along and drift. When we know what is true, we will be growing every day into an awareness and a very practical nature such that we will not be able to tell anything else. When we see someone doing something that we know is just devastating and broken, we will kindly but very directly say, that's not the way to do that, is it? Are you sure? Let me tell you about Jesus. Do you know the truth? Do you know the truth? Do we know the truth? Do we know how to tell it? Is the truth of Jesus Christ living in us so that the diseases of ambiguity and relativism are blown away by God's grace as far as the east is from the west? If it is, if the truth is living in us, We will know it, and the truth will set us free because Jesus is that truth. And God came in person to make that known. And we will know it when we continue, as he said, in his word. Every day, every day, I deal with stories of people who live in torment because they've been lied to, subtly, insidiously and they've been drifted away. People who grew up in the church people who, kn- who have known the word maybe you've been lied to maybe that drift is happening in your life too maybe you think you can work both sides of the street. I know I've tried that. It's devastating the lie is that God is not faithful there's a lie out there that God will not be faithful God is faithful Perfectly faithful, completely faithful, and dependable, and sufficient for every single need. Jesus came to be God's truth for us. He came to set us free today. Today, as long as today is called today. May we be those who have been healed and are being healed. By the only truth there is, God's love for us. And may that be so evident in us that it compels people to want to know God's truth. And may we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because we know who the truth is. Jesus Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to us in the wilderness that Israel stood in. Thank you for leading us home, not just to that physical promised land, but to the promised land of perfect presence and relationship with you. Thank you for rescuing us from the lie, the ambiguity, the relativism, that would try to separate us from the only truth and hope there is in you. Let us live that with joy and confidence for your glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May we be the Catholic Church, that is, the universal church, the church of the one name. That's what Catholic means. The universal, one church of Jesus Christ. And may we stand beneath the cross of Jesus. Like let's live in this truth. We go because of Jesus Christ nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, He has something He wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And go therefore in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.